Hi, my name is Ben Atkinson, and welcome to Season 2 of the Functional Health Podcast. I'm trained in both biomedical science and nutrition, and I firmly believe that a holistic and functional approach to health is fundamental to our well-being. I interview some of the leading voices in nutrition and lifestyle medicine, from practitioners to professors and everyone in between. With this podcast, I will share with you their stories, their expertise, and their advice, shedding light on the industry from each of their perspectives, and providing you with simple tips and tricks to help improve your health from today. This week, I'm delighted to be speaking with Dr. Poonam Krishan. Poonam is a medical doctor and GP with training in lifestyle medicine. Today, we have a special focus of preventing and overcoming physical and mental burnout. I first met Poonam at a Lifestyle Doctors event in London, and I'm so thrilled to have her on the show today. So, without further ado, Poonam, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. So, Poonam, you are a conventionally trained GP. Why did you want to study medicine? Why did I want to study medicine? I guess my interest in medicine came twofold. I loved people and I always had compassionate, caring sides to my personality in that I enjoyed doing charity work, I enjoyed doing community-based work. And when I got to the point of choosing my subjects, I was very drawn to the arts. And I think if I would have had my choice completely, I would have gone and studied English history and drama but my family were Indian um, there was always a big focus on academia and it was a choice of medicine accountancy law or being deemed a failure um, <laughs> so I, I medicine was the one that I naturally flocked to and yeah it was definitely the right choice for me um, and I understand that you're a director and trustee of the British Society of Lifestyle Medicine That's correct. When did you become aware of the benefits of lifestyle medicine? To be honest, the benefits of lifestyle medicine came to me five years ago after the birth of my son, which is when I met with some personal physical medical problems. And um, in a bid to avoid being over-medicalized, I found a lot of ways and means to kind of heal myself. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of it came from holistic methods and lifestyle. So between me and my son, we found mindfulness, we found the power of fitness and bringing that into our life. And I think that that really kind of started um, a new way of living. Mm -hmm. But then I I, I kind of met with a major event in in my work life uh, two years ago that really brought to the surface my personal need to, to learn more about lifestyle medicine and how more to apply it to my work. And for the listeners, lifestyle medicine takes into account several aspects of the individual's life, such as sleep, nutrition, stress, movement and relationships. Do you incorporate these things into your practice currently? Absolutely, I do. Um, I very much am one of these GPs that genuinely adores being a GP. I love it because... It's wonderful to hear. (laughs) (laughs) I I absolutely love it because I feel that it's a very special place that you get to to sit and a very special relationship that you get to form with your patients over their lifetime and you almost kind of grow and evolve with your 
with your patients. But one thing that I found in the lead up to a point where I felt quite burnt out was that I spent my whole day sort of patient after patient after patient discovering that the underlying causes of a lot of the problems that we were trying to to manage the at the root cause of all of them was actually lifestyle factors mm-hmm. and I was never feeling satisfied because I wasn't getting the time to focus on these aspects that could really transform people and the focus was very much on what can I do for you what are your symptoms here is a drug and I'll see you again in a few weeks time um, when what I really wanted to do was spend time and speaking to them about what their their routines were like at home and what they were doing to kind of help themselves and what did they understand how to take ownership of their own health um, and really educate them and empower them. But I was never getting a chance to do that. So when I discovered people and doctors and nutritional therapists and, you know, the, the wider specialty of lifestyle medicine, mm-hmm. I was like, these are my people. These people are actually doing this every day personally and professionally and I really um, over the last couple of years have been spending every opportunity to to learn and apply various different ways of incorporating this into management. Out of interest if someone comes into your clinic with let's say moderately high blood pressure or high cholesterol for that matter are you able to first treat them with lifestyle medicine before a prescription? The fact is that it's all very much one bespoke and two, it, it, it requires a relationship to be formed with the patient. Mm-hmm. So when you discover that this person is suffering from high blood pressure, high cholesterol, it's important and it's um, the right thing to do by exploring with the individual what's led them to get to this point. And it's definitely not something that's just happened over the last month or two what's been happening over the breadth of their life and getting into their heads and their kind of mindsets are they willing to want to change this Um, and it's a conversation that needs to be frank and open and honest and without judgment and that is the that is the priority of my management so I always tend to to prioritize that whereas five years ago my priority would have been going straight to the guidelines and looking at what's the first line you know bloods that I need to do what's the the drugs I need to prescribe but now the focus is you know these are the situations here yes there are drugs but are you willing to give it a go without are you willing to take a chance and modify some of these risk factors that you've got and these habits that you've formed Mm -hmm. in order to perhaps reverse this condition or really significantly reduce the complications and long-term damages. And when you put it to the patient, nine times out of 10, they actually want somebody to enthuse and empower them. And I think that that's the beauty is that when you start using lifestyle medicine in consultation, you start discovering that it's, it's the first time the person has ever been given a platform or a space to to reflect into their own behaviours. Yes, and I suppose it's empowering. You're offering mm. the patient a way to do this themselves. Um, Absolutely. Which I think is fantastic. So Our duty is to help people through their life. And I think as a GP that that's what I see. I see people from pre-birth all the way, you know, to the end of life. And our needs as human beings evolve and change over this period of time mm-hmm. and our habits change and 
as life continues to happen, we react in different ways, sometimes to the detriment of our health. And when we know that up to 70 to 80% of chronic diseases that we are suffering from these days are due to our lifestyle choices, you know, it's, it's unjust to not uh, react to that. And um, particularly as generalists in the community, um, you know, we are best placed to, to speak to our patients about this. So are patients not only receptive to these kind of lifestyle medicine interventions, but are they also able to maintain them long term or is it more they just follow them for a short period of time? It's a work in progress mm -hmm. with many patients. And again, it's all in the delivery. If um, I use the car analogy a lot, if you want a specific type of car and you love it and you finally get it and you look after it you know it's going to serve you well yes. if you decide to just wreck it drive it recklessly and just you know generally not take care of it it's it's not going to last you know for the duration of time um and i think the body is very much like that is that if you invest and you really empower people to think about their bodies as something that is, is a gift to them, that is something that is not just functional, but serves a bigger purpose, then people learn to want to look after it so that it does work for a long time, um, if that makes any sense. So I think that um, with my patients, the beauty that I have as a GP is I get to see them time and time again. Um, so I do tend to, to bring them in after, you know, three months to see how they've got on um, at the very beginning if it's if it's somebody who's just been diagnosed with some cardiovascular um, disease then I will bring them in earlier just to ensure that I'm keeping their energy levels up my practice nurse is very much on board and as a team we take it upon ourselves to really work with the person that their prescription is one of a lifestyle and everything else is secondary and this is not a novel approach, but I suppose it's rising in popularity now, but and also but fairly new. I mean, it wasn't too long ago before lifestyle medicine interventions were kind of, you know, brushed under the carpet. They were considered not science-based and not effective. Yeah, no, I I think that in one way, yes, we can say that it's it's a fairly new approach. But really, if we look at even, you know, some of our medical journals from decades ago, when we look at some of the guidelines, when we actually look at the way the evolution has taken place, you know, these basic things of eating well, um, sort of movement um, of communities, this has all been part of our, of our journey as human beings. So actually, we've known this for a long time. We know the benefits of, of you know, lifestyle medicine. It's just we've not labeled it medical school lifestyle yes. medicine was very much you know the social history part is that you kind of you kind of got to it in the middle of the history but actually it was the thing that was going to give you the nub um is the person a smoker where did they live what was their job you know all these things could give you clues but what we weren't then taught was how do we teach them to modify that social history um the guidelines all tell us that we should go to lifestyle first but we for some reason skip that step and we go on to all the all the medical management um and i think it's just about getting a newer mindset mm -hmm. um and i love the fact that as 
physicians, as healthcare professionals, that we are very much embracing um, this way of working and prioritizing um, lifestyle medicine as prevention of disease rather than waiting until it's formed so that we can cure and treat it. Yes, no, I entirely agree. I think it's wonderful. And you've got doctors coming out such as Rupee with his culinary medicine, food medic Hazel Wallace, as well mm-hmm. as, well as Daryl Edwards as well, coming to Lifestyle Medicine conferences and talking about movement and how important it yep. is um, and how yep. we're movement deficient. This integration is, I think, the way forward. Absolutely. And I think that it is so inspiring to see especially the people that you've mentioned um the work that we do with british society of lifestyle medicine yes there's rungan chatterjee i mean there's an endless list of of um healthcare professionals that are making waves and inspiring not just you know their peers but we're inspiring the public to think differently and to to understand the importance of ownership and we are more more moving towards you know walk the walk and talk the talk um which again when when our juniors come and shadow us they feel really enthused about uh, you know why we are um doing what we're doing yes and ultimately you know when you ask the question of why medicine why and actually i'd probably say why general practice um it's because we fundamentally go into this career path because we want to help people get better but somewhere along the lines I, I kind of felt that getting people better is just one aspect of it when I had my son five years ago I got the fright of my life for various reasons but one of the big things that happened was I recognized that he was of Indian origin born in Scotland um, and both sort of from his genetic point of view and his environment he is at a very high risk statistically of developing heart problems and um, type 2 diabetes when he's older. And suddenly my mind was, how can I do my absolute best to ensure that this boy grows up with as, as you know, fewer problems as possible? How can I help him live well? How can I help him um, in his journey to prevention of, of illness? And I think that when I took that then to my work, uh, I was like, I actually want to start seeing people, you know, being well. And we don't get to see that. We see people when they are in crisis. We see them when they've kind of got to that diagnosis of something chronic. And it's not late by that time. But actually, I wish I could have conversations with them a decade earlier so that I could kind of slow down the progression. And, I mean, the dream would be as a GP to have... an empty surgery where you know nobody comes in because we solved it, solved it all. Um, but yeah, I think it, it's an exciting time for health and well-being, and I think it's it's incredible that there is a, a huge number of practitioners um, in all fields actually that are prioritizing this. Absolutely, and that idea of preventative medicine, I guess. So you mm. you stop the disease before it ever becomes a disease in the first place. You stop any yes. can, yeah, you stop any progression. Absolutely, that actually reminds me. I read uh, your bio on your website, and you made mm. me laugh when you wrote uh, that you dislike. I think it was you dislike cooking, but love eating food, <laughs> or love eat, love eating good food. I think it was. 
Um, But I think that is true for the majority of people who maybe don't like cooking or don't feel they have the time to cook. How do you get around this obstacle when you're so busy in your day-to-day life? I get my husband to cook. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I go to my mum's house a lot. Um, um, I, I I think that this is it. We put a lot of pressure on ourselves and for a time I did also because especially in life summits and you know there's um incredible doctors that are you know brilliant at cooking and they have these beautiful Instagram pages and food looks beautiful whereas uh my food never looks like that um, <laughs> and I also find it a chore to do and it's and I guess it's probably formed in my my history and my backstory is that um, my sister and I were uh, raised. Um, my parents were immigrants, and the their focus very much was on our academic success. And as a result, they didn't let us kind of you know enter the kitchen. My mum just wanted us to study, and just that was the focus. Um, so I guess for me, growing up, I cooking wasn't really part of my wasn't part of my life really but eating all her good food was <laughs> so um, um but yeah but now that I have a little boy I you know I, I'm very mindful we we cook most of our meals um and we organize in advance because we are very busy um and you know there is no when you know why you have to eat well you know it just doesn't need to be a seven course tasting meal yes <laughs> so um yeah I've spoken with uh, Toral Shah from the Urban Kitchen not too Mm. long ago, and she was just saying the importance of meal prep when people are so busy. Yeah. It seems to be the case. If you've got go-tos, even in Tupperware, vegetables, things of that nature in the fridge, then you're never going to, you know, be short on the run on the way out to work and you have to pick up a quick sandwich. There won't be that problem. Yeah, and it it was actually a lot easier to do that for me before I had my son. But since I had become a mum, the way that we approach food in our house has has changed dramatically. You know, Mm -hmm. that kind of fast-paced lifestyle, um, it has to change because our son can't go and just buy a salad from a shop, you know. Um, So it requires a lot of preparation. The weekends are often spent you know making meals so that we are organized for the week ahead so that you know at the end of a long day when you feel frazzled you feel a bit burnt out your body is screaming for sugar and fat um you don't you know you can resist the temptation because you've already got stuff prepared Now, I just wanted to touch upon um, a topic which I think is under-addressed, but it's the topic of burnout. Mm. Now, people are now experiencing huge amounts of accumulative stress in their daily lives through their work, relationships, family commitments, and even through physical exertion. Now, this can eventually lead to physical and mental burnout and depressive states, which are just, they are now becoming more prevalent in today's society. When I was with you last, you spoke about a particular case of burnout. Mm. Would you please, for the listeners, retell that story? Yeah. Um, so I um, 
after having my son, um, so five years ago, uh, kind of jumped into a, a partnership, a general practice. And um, for the next four years, um, it all kind of was going swimmingly. I'd taken on a lot of responsibility, probably a lot more than um, you know I should have done in hindsight. But I am quite a driven, motivated individual. But mm-hmm. I think the fact is that pressures of general practice um, are well documented. Um, and I was pretty much the, I was a practice manager as well as the GP partner. And I was pretty much managing this, this practice on my own. Um, and it kind of got to a point where I hadn't actually recognized a lot of the signs that those around me could see. Um, but it got to a point um, in September two years ago that um, I just walked out the practice one day because I had got to a point where I just couldn't um, manage the stress of management, if that makes any sense. Um, I think the thing is I, I fundamentally became a doctor to help people, but mm-hmm. I spent a huge amount of my time trying to do the business side of the practice affairs. And it was actually all things that were out with my area of expertise. So the result was that you kind of do your day job as a GP, but then the rest of the time you're doing business management. And, you know, the days were seven days a week. I was working long hours. There was no downtime. I was also kind of, you know, a a new mum. And, um, and, I hadn't recognized that I was just burning at both ends and yeah, I burnt out. Yeah. I, d- I think last time I didn't even realize the extent of it, mm. but I think it just shows you like even people like yourself, you're medically trained, you know about these lifestyle situations and it can still happen. Yeah. And it's just yeah. important to acknowledge that, you know, I think people are in the habit of blaming themselves for getting in that way when mm. you shouldn't, Absolutely. And the thing was, at the time, you know, I knew I wasn't depressed. I knew I had high stress levels, but then all my friends or GPs have got high stress levels. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I didn't really know why I felt tired all the time, why I felt frazzled all the time. Um, And the choices I was making in general were were terrible in terms of my lifestyle I was having zero time for any exercise um in terms of you know the food I was eating was you know largely unhealthy because it was just kind of long hours of fasting eating when I could um you know preparing things for my son but because my son wasn't a great sleeper I was not sleeping during the night you know and I was just running on this kind of empty tank almost Mm-hmm. for four years and and I still look back and I go how as a doctor did I not see what was going on but I guess that's the that's the thing that with our mental health um we tend to lose insight um because we're so caught up in the midst of it which is why having those around you and listening to them um is is vital um, rather than isolating yourself. Yes, I, I think you touched upon a really important topic there, that a support network is so beneficial mm. for, for healing in general and just yeah. for your own well-being. I know Rongan talks about talks about that a lot in terms of um, nurturing relationships. 
Absolutely. Social contact. I mean, it is nature's antidote to management of stress. Mm -hmm. So, um, and I think that it's hard, though, when you are so busy, the thought of going out to meet a friend, you just don't want to do it because you're tired. You don't want to pick up the phone. You don't want to talk to anyone. Um, But I think when you start to recognize that I feel this way, is the time to start questioning, am I starting to burn out? Is this something, a condition or a situation which you see in your clinic frequently? I see it every day yeah. and I see it at least two to three times a day. Wow. Um, I have a lot of people that are off long-term sick because of it and it's becoming more and more of a problem as our world becomes faster and faster and more connected um, I think the pressures that are put upon us these days are monumental and, you know, we don't have space or time or appreciation for silence. Mm-hmm. You almost have to kind of go for a retreat in order to find silence. And I think that now more than ever, people need to be taught on how to protect their mental health because when our mental health is strong, the rest of our health is strong. But when our mental health is suffering, it has a huge impact on absolutely every other system aspect of our being. Yes, absolutely. I entirely agree. And there's a big push for that now, mm. in my understanding. But yeah. you were so right in saying that we can't switch off and unplug. I know mm. people have their emails on the phone most of the time mm. and I see people checking their emails just before they go to bed and yeah. that, how are you meant to plug off if you're waiting on that next email to come in and you're constantly yeah. looking at your phone you will never actually relax because it's still at the yeah. back of your mind um, yeah. and that didn't used to be the case before phones were so common yeah yeah and it was just when you finish work at five that was it you know this concept of nine to five job nobody has that anymore because your job is always there with you Mm -hmm. and um and i think that some of the the causes of burnout that i see a lot are you know when there is a, a big disconnect or an imbalance between work and life um and that is the commonest cause of burnout that i see um the the you know the the other things are not having much support or being socially isolated. Yes. Um, having dysfunctional workplace dynamics and not really knowing how to to manage that. Um, a common one, actually, for a lot of professionals, particularly, um, are you know de- being perfectionists and developing or having unrealistic expectations from their job um, that are unmet. Um, And also a lack of control. So between these, I I feel that people tend to find themselves developing symptoms that are physical, that are emotional, that are behavioral. And they come out in different aspects of their life. And if picked up early, it's great. But otherwise, you get to the point where I got where for a month I couldn't move. I just wanted to, to sleep all day. I was emotionally, physically, mentally done in and just hadn't a clue where I was going to turn or what I was going to do next because I just had no energy. Um, And it's given me a lot of compassion, actually, for people that do sometimes come in and say, I just feel tired all the time. And you think your blood's are normal, everything else is fine. 
why are you tired all the time? Mm -hmm. But I think when you've been to a point where you literally feel that making a cup of tea is, is feels like doing an exam, you know, there's a problem. Yes, Uh, absolutely. And it's very real and it can happen to absolutely anyone and everyone. And I think that we need to raise more awareness that burnout isn't stress. It's not depression. You know, it's, it's, a state of emotional, physical, mental exhaustion, which is caused by excessive and prolonged stress. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, one of the root causes to all chronic diseases is stress. So, you know, it's, we can look at the consequences as like short term, medium term, but long term. But if we allow this stress to go on for years, then we see the development of, you know, hypertension, high blood pressure, Um, heart disease, type 2 diabetes. Um, And so this grumbles on for years. And I see people at various stages of their disease journey. And when stripped back, the root cause is is, um, stress. Yes. And I think Rongan actually said something very similar. He he thought like the biggest problem with, um, with lifestyle was nutrition. But now he fundamentally believes that it's actually stress to be the biggest cause of chronic illness. I believe that it's a mixture of all of these things. It's yes. lack of physical activity. It is lack of eating good food. It's lack of appreciating good food. It's lack of taking time, lack of sleeping. And I think that if you put all these ingredients into a blender, you are culminating the perfect blend of for disease. And... I don't think that we can say one or the other. I think they all feed into one another. And, you know, I I love the concept of of the systems all being sort of a matrix. And the fact is that one thing will have a knock-on effect on the next. When we are stressed, we crave bad food. We eat for comfort. Mm -hmm. We turn to alcohol or we turn to substance misuse, um, you know, and and those those then affect our energy levels. We don't want to go and exercise, and before we know it, we're not sleeping very well because some of the choices we made. I mean, it's all connected. Yeah, it's this um, huge domino effect. It's the chicken or the egg. Yeah. <laughs> so, what are the some of the key strategies that you'd recommend implementing to help prevent burnout? To help prevent burnout, yes, I think for it's people it's who may one... be stressed already. Yeah, I think it's firstly looking at, um, you know, the causes of it. And I tend to kind of look at them and sort of break them down into three um, broad areas for causes, which is work related, um, lifestyle related. And then we need to factor in, you know, our personality types as well. So in terms of work, you know, really looking at your environment and, you know, doing a check-in every now and then, which is, you know, am I feeling like this place, this work is serving my needs? Mm -hmm. Do I feel like I am valued? Am I recognized for the work that I do? Am I meeting the demands put upon me or are they unrealistic? Um, In terms of lifestyle, you know, how much am I working? How much am I living? Um, You know, have I got a close support network? Do I see my friends? Um, and I think that when we start looking at, you know, our sleep patterns at home, what is our routines like out with work, you know? And then the last thing is your personality type. You know, are you generally quite a negative 
pessimistic person? Is this something that you need to work on? Are you that control freak or that pessimist, uh, that, that perfectionist who, um, you know, who quite quickly becomes consumed by work and wants to do everything to the nth degree and therefore is more likely to burn out compared to somebody who's quite chilled out and takes everything in their stride. And I think that once you have a real look into the different causes um, that would predispose you to burnout, it's then kind of looking at how, how do you go about protecting yourself from potential risk factors. Um, so for me, some of the biggest, the biggest um, things that helped me was having a listening ear. Um, when you're stuck in the depths of um, isolation and not wanting to be a failure, you don't talk to people. You don't want to tell anyone that you are struggling because you, don't, you fear judgment. You fear that you're letting others down. And yes. I think that at any time somebody said to me, you know, are you sure you're all right? And I was like, yes, I'm absolutely fine. What I was doing was I was taking my frustrations out on those close to me because they could see something that I was worried about, but I didn't want to let them down. Mm -hmm. So I think that the important thing is, yes, using that social contact and really reaching out to those that are close to you and making a habit of just talking and I recognize as a kid, this is something that we always did, but, you know, intuitively you'd finish school at the end of the day and your parents would probably likely say, how was your day? I find myself doing the same to my son. It's like, how was your day? But as <laughs> adults, we seem to finish work and we go into the next phase of our day and we never really reflect on how was my day? Um, so I think that being able to speak, reach out and really reviewing your tribe now you know this word tribe it seems to be a bit of an instagram hashtag at the moment but yes. it is very important who you hang out with and i think that if you feel after spending an evening with somebody that you know part of you feels a little bit negative or a bit down on yourself or just generally you, you don't know why but you just don't feel good then perhaps you need to review who you're hanging out with because those who are going to bring out the best in you will make you feel like the best version of you um, and in a dog eat dog world it's very important to choose your tribe wisely people need to prioritize downtime and make space for silence this is probably the in fact this is the biggest thing that has changed my life so whilst I say yes talking to others is important being able to have time whether you journal whether you go for a walk whether you but just silence yourself away from your phone from the internet and just learn to appreciate the kind of moments around us which fly by and we don't notice them every day um, because we're so consumed one thing that we do in a society that is so switched on all the time is that we almost poo-poo the idea of having me time because you don't want to miss out. Um, and when you spend time with yourself is the time where a lot of answers become clear. And I've worked a lot on myself over the last couple of years and I have found the power of silence and the power of stillness to really have transformed the way that my outlook is to the way that my career is forming and developing and it's because 
I always looked for the answers in external sources. I always looked for um, rewards from other people, from gratification from other people. Whereas when you start to kind of not seek that validation from external sources, but thank yourself for doing the best that you could that day, there's a certain empowerment that comes from that. And I think that we don't do it enough. So I definitely feel that people need to have more protected me time. Yeah, and that I idea other... of mindfulness. Um, yeah, is... so mindfulness is, I mean, I, I absolutely advocate meditation, mindfulness. I love yoga. These things are very powerful. Mindfulness is very much appreciating the moment um, that is happening. So it's being present. Yes. And when, again, over the, since I've had my son, we make a conscious effort in our family to do everything mindfully. And so eating becomes an experience for us. Every mealtime or dinner at night is, is the meal of the day where we all get to sit down. But we are very present in it and we try our best to talk about what we're eating, how it's making us feel. We really make that a present moment. Um, but there is tapping into that other space, which is, you know, just letting your thoughts flow and is tapping into, you know, the energies around you and thinking beyond what is just happening in that present moment. So it's looking at, you know, what what is the space between your inhale and exhale? What is the space between each step that you take and really becoming more conscious about the bigger picture and your role in the world in that bigger picture? Have I lost you? No, you haven't lost me whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> People speak about this quite a lot, actually. And there's some science which definitely backs it up into how people yeah. become. So if they have um, feelings of anxiety, how it can relieve some of that. It's not a yeah. fix-all in terms of mental health, but it can certainly help. Yeah. Are, there, are there certain resources which you would recommend in terms of being present or being mindful, which the listeners could use? Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I find journaling to be very therapeutic, to be cathartic. um, And I would highly recommend, even for those that feel they can't write, because that's something my patients will start off saying, no, I'm I'm terrible at writing. And you say, well, just, just try it. Just try and write as though, you know, you're speaking to somebody and you don't need to share this with anybody else. Sometimes if you've had a particularly bad day, write and write until you can't write anymore and then rip it up and let it go. And there's so many times I've had patients come back and actually say, you know what, that really helped. There was a lot of stuff that I wanted to say, but then, I mean, I've had some extreme cases where people have, you know, wanted to burn their journal afterwards, which is fine. I think whatever is your release, but journaling is very effective. And the other place that I find so effective and it's a resource that we don't talk about enough and that is nature it's out there it's free and i think that the more time we spend in nature um the better it is for our mental and physical and emotional well-being um so i would recommend that everybody whether it's first thing early morning or last thing at night when the world's a little bit quieter Mm -hmm. just to go out for a walk and just to tune in to the way the weather is, to the birds that are singing, and as cheesy and woolly as that sounds, I totally get it, but 
you just feel so good afterwards because there's yeah you're just you're just present with with the world around you not cooped up inside with a computer yes i actually heard about this very recently i think ben brown who has been on the podcast before um he wrote about it in ICANN magazine about this idea of nature deficiency 100% yeah and you know it took me and I live in Scotland, one of the most beautiful countries in the whole world. But You're biased um, there, or not at all. I mean, it's facts. <laughs> We're talking about facts here. <laughs> um, so, for anyone that's not been to Scotland, please come because it's stunning. You'll never want to leave. Um, but it was only after I got my dog two years ago that I discovered the magic of nature and its role in helping me. Um, recover in every way really because when you when I would take my dog out I would notice things that he was noticing you know I'd never seen owls before in my area (laughs) you know um, watching watching him explore and finding the joy in that um, really helped and now it's it's become so part of my life that even if I'm not taking him out I, I just need to during the day get out and just be be with the the birds and the bees. <laughs> I hear about this a lot, actually. When people have a dog for a long time, and maybe something happens, or maybe that dog passes away, people still want to go out and walk. Uh-huh. And I think because they've noticed the benefits themselves of just walking out in nature. Yeah. So yeah, yeah I think what you're saying is completely true. In fact, and I think a lot of people experience the same thing. Yeah, and the fact is that nature, um, as well as creativity which we don't again we kind of tend to leave our hobbies in in our childhood you know both these things are very powerful antidotes to stress and burnout and we really need to connect back with our creative side to nourish that and um, create the love for nature again because the, the one thing in nature is that nothing's ever s- still mm-hmm. and it's always evolving and it's always alive um, and there's a lot of lessons that we can learn from that. Agreed. How do you think our current healthcare system can become more integrated with other practices i think that where we are at the moment there is a huge need for people to put their egos aside if i can say that (laughs) and start welcoming professionals from all other specialties um, and all other backgrounds because it's particularly in the industry of health and well-being. The commonality is that everyone wants to help people. And I think that as doctors, we are the scientists. We understand the way the physiology works. We know the evidence. But equally, we can't do it all. So we need to use the other healthcare professionals around us and their skill sets and their expertise and wisdom and experience in order to enhance the journey of the patient to optimum living. 
And I think that we need to focus more on integrating and we need to really start respecting other um, healthcare professionals um, and their role in helping unearth root causes of chronic problems. And also a question which I ask absolutely everyone that comes on the show can you please provide the listeners with three tips? I know you provided many already. Three <laughs> tips to help improve their health and well-being. Um, okay. I would say prioritize downtime and relaxation. Big one. Okay. Um, sleep. sleep needs to be a priority really start working on that from the moment that you enter the house don't leave it till the hour before um i call it sleep foreplay but really (laughs) really really start working on downtime from the moment you enter because if you sleep well everything the next day will go well um and lastly whenever you feel stressed and harassed and want to reach out for the pasta or the chips or the chocolate, you know, um, just think twice because sugar, refined carbs, the fats, you know, they they seem like a good idea at the time, but they are huge um, sort of stealers of our mood and energy and they just make you feel rubbish afterwards. That idea of sleep foreplay, I imagine is going to stay with the listeners and it will certainly stay with me. So thank you for sharing (laughs) that tip. Poonam, it's always a pleasure to speak to you and have you on the show. But before you go, please do let the listeners know where they can find you and what projects you have coming up. Absolutely. Um, I am active on social media, um, on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook at Dr. Poonam Christian. And I also have a website, which is www.drpoonamchristian.com. Uh, in the pipeline currently I have some TV projects um, which will be out later this year and I'm also writing my first book wow there's a lot going on there (laughs) exciting I will not burn out though because I have all the tips and skills (laughs) that I've learned (laughs) (laughs) For, for the listeners I'll put all the links that Poonam's just mentioned in the show notes I really enjoyed our conversation, Poonam. It was wonderful to have you on the show and I do hope that we can do this again soon. Absolutely, thank you. Thank you for listening to the Functional Health Podcast. You can find links to everything that we talked about today in the show notes. If you have a second, please consider leaving a five-star rating on iTunes. It really does make a huge difference and helps get this valuable information out and reach more people. Don't forget to subscribe so you can stay up to date and know whenever I release a new episode. You can connect with us on Instagram, Facebook or our website and all questions are welcome. As always, thanks to Joss Aurelia for the editing and Alan Harper for his support. (laughs) (laughs) This is like me a brain fog time now. I'm like, um... It's the end of the day. No one expects to be like super sharp at the end of the day. Yeah, but you're not going to be adding that in, are you? When you're like, (laughs) so Dr. Christian had just finished her day and was absolutely exhausted. And this could be like, you you know, when they do the outtakes at the end, I might just add this section in (laughs) because then people will understand. (laughs) 
I'm like, oh, okay, that was what was going on <laughs> behind the scenes. 